Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Don't Praise the Machine. This is episode number 54, and we're asking you all to engage your core. <laughs> we want core strength as you sit there and listen to this episode of Don't Praise the Machine because we all know that the core is how the rest of your body functions. <laughs> episode number 54, and I was going to say to you, John, mm. do you want to either talk about Studio 54 or... I was thinking you would probably go, you know what 54 makes me think of, Al? It's so close to 51. <laughs> Area 51. <laughs> Area 51. Yeah. Is a place that has fascinated me yeah. for so long. You know what's weird? If you subtract three from 54 <laughs> and you get 51 and three weeks ago we were talking about Area 51. I mean, that's that's weird. And I've got a few more clippings here yeah. about the Roswell, <laughs> yeah. New Mexico incident. Just pan around my little walk-in robe and there's like a beautiful mind situation on the walls. Red string <laughs> linking various <laughs> events to other events. Mm. Uh, I just uh, I just got back from my first proper run in mm. probably about four weeks since the since the marathon, so that yeah. felt good. I've done a couple of little, done a couple of little junior runs, mm-hmm. but uh, um, that was my first proper ten k, mm. and I I was forced to go quite quickly because I was I knew that I was recording with you in an hour. Mm. So when I left the house, I had to go fast, and it forced me to do quite a decent time. So I'm pretty happy with that. PB was it a PB? No, it was slightly. It's probably about a minute under my PB. Actually, my PB I set. Okay, I set uh, a couple of years ago at the Berlin airport. Before the Berlin oh. airport opened, they actually they actually would allow once a year they would they would do this thing called the airport run, mm-hmm. and um, you could do a ten k at the airport, which I'm glad I did because you can't do it anymore because now it's open and mm. a functioning airport. But I set my ten k best at that, which was like. 49 minutes, I reckon. And I think I just did then, I just did 50 then uh, as I was running towards you. So that's good. That's a good little baseline for me. That's good, yeah. Feels like I got a little bit of post-marathon form. And next week you can hang on until like 45 minutes until we have to hit hit record (laughs) and then see if you can do it. You just need a (laughs) hard deadline. run before like... I just, yeah, I'll run before like job interviews or yeah. if I have to, uh, if you know, if I have to do any kind of public speaking, if I have to catch flights, mm. anything like that. <laughs> you need a hard just... deadline. I mean, that's what that's what prompted the original marathon runner to run so fast because they were running that's right. to marathon to tell someone about a wall breaking out or something like that. I've forgotten the details. That's right. That's correct. Mm. Uh, and the most recent decent recent decent run that I did was in London a couple of weeks ago mm-hmm. with my dear friend Scotty Robo Dog Robertson. Oh, and we ran Scotty Robertson. We had a great run from around Bethnal Green and a little bit out towards Mile End mm. and then along ran along Regent's Canal. And it made me remember, John, Regent's Canal is full of all that world class famous London street art. Mm. Uh, a lot of the anyone who's anyone has has done a bit of uh, street Had art on Regent's Canal in yeah. London. And it reminded me, John, that you and me did the London street art tour when we both lived in London. Mm. We did the alternative London mm. street art tour, and uh, a lot of the artists whose work I was seeing as I ran along Regent's Canal a couple of weeks ago with Scotty. Uh, a lot of the artists I was familiar with from the alternative London street art. Yeah, too. okay. It, remind, it reminded me of that hilariously absurd joke <laughs> that we came up with. If you, I was wondering if you could explain that. Maybe I'll chip sure. in if you're struggling. Yeah, no, I think but I... what was it that... I think I remember that. What was that, it that I said? I remember that weirdly well. Because it mustn't have been long before I left London, so I was kind of. It was. It's right. It was basically like a like. What, John's going to leave London. What yeah. should we do? In what's a cool London thing to do before we leave? We'll mm. do the alternative London street art tour around yeah. Brick Lane. Yeah, and we'll have all the cool street art explained to us. Yeah, which was cool, and uh, and we had this tour guide 
and there's a weird kind of bit of serendipity in the in the tale of the story, which we'll come to. But we had this we we had this tour guide, and he was doing the sort of usual tour guide spiel, saying, you know, hi everyone, my name's Gary. I'm I'm the alternative London street art tour guide, and we're going to be you know going here and then crossing over here and doing this and that. And then I think he finished it by saying, uh, once again, my name is Gary. Yeah, he must have said either his name's Gary twice yeah. or somebody must have asked again, <laughs> but he must have said his name at least twice and then one of us latched onto it. <laughs> and then, yeah, one of us latched onto it and we had we kind of developed <laughs> this... This, uh, this we were like version naughty of kids. yeah, we developed this kind of version of him. We were kind of imitating him under our breath as we were going. I think where he was like really preoccupied with persuading everyone that his name was Gary <laughs> for some for no real reason. Like like maybe he did it so much that you thought, is it, but is your name Gary? Because you keep stressing. <laughs> um, <laughs> Once like he again, was impersonating someone. The, the tour was going on, and we just kept sort of doing little, little alter ego spiels ourselves, going like, "And this uh, is a classic example of a pace stop. It's by Ghost Patrol." Once, <laughs> once again, my name is Gary. <laughs> you know, we would say things like, "Now, that's an excellent question. I'll get to it in one second. And before I do, I'm having a look out there, and I'm seeing some of you look at me. Uh, a little bit suspiciously. It's. I feel a little bit like some of you don't believe that I am Gary. And I would need to address that before I continue with the tour. Just once again, if you look at the badge here, laminated, it says Gary there. And uh, I'm not sure what else you really need. Uh, I am Gary. And I'd like to I'd like to put an end to that before, uh, before I continue with the tour. If there's anybody out there on the tour now who doesn't think I'm Gary... Please raise your hand now. <laughs> yeah. um, so we just kept... Feel free to leave because we don't need that kind of energy. <laughs> it's just completely absurd nonsense. <laughs> and we were just like the naughty boys on the tour, of course, just giggling to ourselves. Didn't. Um, and then serendipitously, yeah. about six months later, I started working at a cafe on Great Eastern Street, mm. and it was in uh, an old building that's not there anymore. It's been knocked down oh. recently. It was um, it was uh, before it was the the cafe that I was working in. It mm-hmm. was a famous. It, I think it was originally a, a, a. It was originally I think a Barclays Bank many years ago. Right, and then it was more recently. That building was more recently famous because it was a place called the Foundry, which was a famous kind of art space which had been opened by Bill Drummond from the KLF. Oh. And was also was also a venue where I believe Hot Chip were playing their first gigs uh in, in London. Yeah, and wow. another little another little uh another little story is that in the basement of that um that building was covered in street art and graffiti and in the basement of that uh building where I would go to on my breaks there was an original banksy on the wall oh um yeah it was and that now kind of they've hub. knocked it down but anyway they've knocked it down somebody Shit. must have taken the banksy but i um yeah about six months later the alternative street art tour for london they set up their office mm. in like a bus out the back of uh around the the, the foundry building mm. and i met and became friends <laughs> with gary <laughs> With Gary, Un- and unbeknownst so to him, weird. you and me had had this hilariously silly little story yeah. that we still used to joke with each other about, and then suddenly there he was, and I, and I, you know, you, you just you have to imagine my face when he introduced himself. To, I knew who he was. I remembered, yeah. and he's like, "Oh, g'day, mate! I'm on the uh, alternative London street art tour." And he went, I- I- "I'm Gary," and I went. <laughs> <laughs> are you now? Are you now? Yeah. You would say that. You would me, say that, wouldn't you? Methinks thou doth protest too much, Gary. And as another little, uh, as another little serendipitous tie-up, mm. I'm still friends with Gary on Facebook. And bef- I knew I when I finished my run just now. Yeah. I thought about telling the story. I thought 
I will send him this on Facebook <laughs> and I'll say, I'll say, Gary, this is going to be so bizarre and I'm yeah. sure you haven't thought of me in 10 years. But me and my friend John had this silly little bit that we were doing on the tour. Not a I day goes by. Later. We don't think of you. Not a day goes by. We don't think of that silly <laughs> joke. And get this. I know from Facebook that Gary is now uh, a nippy little marathon distance runner mm. and i see his times and he is fucking quick yeah you sent me something that he that he posted recently with his latest time and i don't know too much about marathon running but it was incredible he is fast man mm. and uh he i think is maybe like a year he's a little bit older than me i reckon he's i reckon he's in his early 40s mm. and gary is Fast and wow. every time I see him as a runner myself, yeah, who pl- who plods along, like Gary's gonna hear this maybe if he if he doesn't block me on Facebook, <laughs> sending him a bizarre message. But um, yeah, Gary, I just ran ten k's in uh, fifty minutes, and I swear I'm gonna do better. But that's pretty much my limit mm. right now. Um, what do you reckon, Gary could dunk up, mate? He, I reckon, oh, that is a good question. It's all 10Ks, I reckon. We'll, we'll, I'll get him to write. I'll get him to write back. Yeah. Gary, what's your 10K? What's your 10K best? Also. And what's your real, what's your real name? <laughs> <laughs> also, anyone, I don't know if Gary still owns, uh, if he runs alternative uh, London tours, but it's great. Go on, do it. I've taken a few other oh, people on great. them. Yeah. Um, I remember it quite well because it was, you just do, it does kind of make you think, I don't know, because I, I spent a lot of time in London thinking, man, I thought London was meant to be this amazing city and I'm uh, somewhere that's not particularly atmospheric. And uh, <laughs> uh, But Gary takes you to places that um, make you feel cool and London-y. Yeah, and explains, I mean, I, I can now, not just in London, um, I can spot street art in Berlin mm. and I know the artists from mm. that street art tour. I'm talking about stick. I'm talking about sweet tooth. I'm talking about Bonksy. Mm. I'm talking about, well, my mate Jimmy C, James Cochran. Shout out to Jimmy C. James is a famous, world famous street artist. Oh, from really? Adelaide, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Jimmy C, man, he's you spot Jimmy C's all over planet Earth. Yeah, and, uh, that sounds vaguely familiar came, to me. I think I think he came up in a kind of Adelaide graffiti hip hip hop kind of scene, uh-huh. and um, you would know his stuff. It's all kind of pointillism. He does dots, yeah, okay. stuff, yeah, cool. So, and I think that's how I, yeah, and I think that's how I first became aware. I reckon I was on the street art tour with you, the yeah. alternative London tour, and I reckon I. Before Gary had even said anything, I said, this looks like mm. that mural that's out the back of Mojo's in Adelaide, in Mojo's oh, nightclub and yeah. the, the beer garden. There was this woman's face and I was like, and, and I was like, at the back of Mojo's, there's that woman's face with the dots and it says, AKA Jimmy C down the bottom. Yeah. And this looks like the same guy. And sure enough, it was. Gary said, this is an Australian street artist. Called James, and then I can't. Then it all just comes full circle. Then when I was working, yeah, at the cafe at the Foundry on Great Eastern Street, turns out Jimmy C knew Tyson, the guy who ran the cafe. So Tyson asked wow. Jimmy C James to come and do a piece on the side of the cafe, and so then I met oh. uh, Jimmy C James Cochran. And got just chatting to him, and that's my main man, Jimmy C. And then when I was in London again on that trip, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was in South Bank, on yeah. South Bank, yeah. And uh, we walked past a beautiful Jimmy C. You'll see Jimmy C's all over London. So shout out Jimmy C. James Cochran, and and we know that's not your real name, Gary. And <laughs> get in touch, Gary, and tell me, tell me, tell me what we want. I want your times, yeah, Gary, because he is. Um, I mean, once you become. Once you get into running, John, you start to just get very obsessed. Mm. And I get super excited when I hear about people's personal <laughs> bests. So when I'm looking at those Gary Facebook posts, mm. and I'm going, wow, that is so quick. Yeah. It's funny. I was just... Um, Gary lo- Kipchoge, I bet is his last name. 
that's that's the fastest man in the world is Yulud Kipchoge for the marathon. There you John. go. Um, I was just washing, cleaning my wallet last night, uh, emptying it. What? Emptying it out. Yeah, because the leather wallet and it, I thought you meant like, like with a sponge. I've had. I used a bit of leather conditioner because I was I was using it on my shoes and I thought I'm just gonna use a bit of this on my wallet because it's quite a nice ghost patrol designed wallet um and he's a kind of well-known australian street artist who would who has who has i think a i think had like a maybe like a little pop-up store in london when we were there but certainly has a lot of work on the streets of london and um so i was thinking about him and that always uh, always makes me think of that street art tour just last night but i must admit when you told me that it were working at a cafe in London and Gary was there. I thought, has, has Al lost his mind? That seems <laughs> that seems too good to be true. <laughs> that this guy, this random guy from the street art tour is there. Is <laughs> now a friend yeah. of Al's. I <laughs> know <laughs> it was a it was a pretty. I, I, I do remember writing to you and just going, "You are not going to fucking believe who I met today." During the week, I was listening to another podcast. It's pretty rare that we mention rival pods on the show, but this one's not really appealing to the same fan base. It's a BBC podcast called Uncanny, which I recommend. It's um, It's got a series of stories that are each kind of, some of them go, there's a story arc that goes over a couple of episodes, but others are just one episode. And they're all sort of tales of the supernatural, mostly ghosts and hauntings and poltergeists and things, and some UFO stuff as well. So it probably won't surprise people who've heard the kinds of things that I like to bring up on this show that I quite enjoy it. But one of the things that I was struck by in listening to the podcast, which kind of made me think of you, was how suggestible I was to these stories of the paranormal and how pleasurable I found it to kind of suspend my disbelief and just kind of give in to the possibility that all of this stuff that I normally would not entertain for a second, like the existence of ghosts, might actually be true. And you've you've referenced in the past, you know, in episode 51 actually, when we talked about aliens, the pleasure of listening to this guy, Bob Lazar, talking about his experiences on Area yeah. 51. Because you get this little... It's like you're breaking the normal rules and inhibitions of your reasoning system and just kind of going, yeah, but maybe that's just all turned on its head and it's all, there's all this crazy shit that I've just kind of ignored my whole life. Yeah. It allows you to, it allows you to expand your reality in a way that feels quite, exactly. Kind of, it gives you a sense of wonder yeah. that you just don't normally get. Yeah. And, and all I need is kind of a credible conduit to do that. This show has guests on it who are like scientists and lawyers and people who are kind of ostensibly not into that world, not really into the paranormal, would describe themselves as rational and often they describe themselves as people who don't really believe in that stuff, but they've just had these experiences that I can't explain that they can't explain, which of course gives me license to be like, well, in order to believe this story, then I don't have to kind of get down on the level of somebody or get over on the level of somebody who I don't really gel with, you know, because they're into like a bunch of woo-woo because I feel like it's somebody like me who's telling the story. Right. But it's it was it's just kind of interesting because it made me realize how susceptible I am to that. And it inspired me to, I've recently moved as you will know and some of our listeners may remember, to Brunswick in uh, the inner north of Melbourne. And um, I noticed the other day that up the end of my street, there's a spiritual church, which is just called the Brunswick Spiritual Church. And I eventually clocked that it was, 
they were spiritualists, like kind of 19th century style seance, you know, speaking to the dead and reading your palms and all this sort of stuff. That kind of that kind of stuff. That's that's what a spiritual church is. That's what that's what these people are. Yeah, I think maybe that's how they normally describe themselves. But I looked it up on the uh, on their website because I thought maybe they're like spiritual in the sense of being weird mediums. Because on this podcast, they interviewed a guy who was from a church in London, which was similarly named, and he was like a person who claimed to have contact with the dead. So I thought one thing that I will probably do on a future episode, this is a bit of a a bit of a uh, coming attractions, is I might go to the spiritual church and I might see what kind of weirdness they have in store for me. Uh, <laughs> Jacinta doesn't want me to do that because she's worried that they'll they'll find out where we live and start haranguing us and <laughs> but uh. But I've got, well, you, so what you, you'd go down there with a secret recorder or something? Like I don't know. Just yeah, put the recorder uh, in a suit, or actually interview them. Yeah, or maybe maybe I'd interview them. Maybe I just would have or you report back weird experiences and then report back. Like go to a séance or get my. I mean, getting my palm reads pretty low level. I really want to get into a situation where where the dead are being conjured, and I want something <laughs> that freaks the shit out of me to happen. Basically. <laughs> it would have to be um would they is it just random people that they would or would it be like I don't know uh, I don't know whether it's like like a, tr- like a classic medium where they'd go yeah John do you know somebody whose name starts with the letter B who's passed yeah exactly who's crossed does, over does anyone have name? A, what was the John Edward Edward someone John Edward yeah <laughs> Who we've we've talked a little bit about. I mean, we've talked about him. I don't know if it's made it its way onto the show. I don't think so. But he's an interesting example of somebody who you kind of think, gee, I hope he believes that he's real at least because yeah, if you're hoodwinking people, that's fairly – I mean, it's it's one thing to believe that you have those abilities when you don't. But if you're conning people – I mean, he had like a – he he tried to have a special a nine eleven special, and they yeah. They, so he was a so he's so just for anyone who doesn't sorry, know yeah. John Edward is I mean from our generation he's probably the most famous television medium. Mm. Uh, it's crazy to even think that this was, was just on TV mm. like that nobody said no don't put this on this is a scam yeah but it, he would appear uh, and it was the classic he would be in a studio with an audience. And then they'd say, okay, go. And he'd go, okay, I'm getting a f- somebody from the other side, is somebody who's died, who's crossed over, yeah. as he would say, yeah. is contacting me. Do, is any, has anybody in the audience ever had anybody that they know died? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <It's exactly. me. laughs> Anyone with long hair. Oh, my God. How would he know that? Yeah, so that's uh, John Edward. <laughs> and you were saying he tried to do a 9-11 special? Yeah, which I think... I think people got wind of the fact that it was going to be screened and then they said, uh, understandably, that sounds like something that is could not be in worse taste. And so they um, <laughs> so they put the kibosh on it at the last minute. But uh, but his intention but was, let me ask as you I something. understand it. How, how is that any different than what he normally does? How is mm, it worse? True. I suppose it's not. It's not. But it's just kind of the cultural event of this kind of horrific event that really, you know, really shocked, uh, I mean, certainly the US and maybe the wider Western world to a degree and ushered in this new strange era to kind of say, uh, I'm going to cash in on that. But you're right. I mean, there's no different to saying, well, well, my relative got hit by a car and you want to contact them, you know. If you accept his normal program mm. where he's there saying, I'm talking to your dead mother, mm. that's the same mm. as him saying, I'm talking to a victim who died in 9-11. Yeah, it's true. It's just you've like you've got to have either a problem with both or a problem with neither. Yeah, it's true. Maybe there was a maybe that was a watershed moment where people were like, Look, we've kind of tolerated this fuckwit for a while now. <laughs> but but he's 
But he's now he's horning in on a national tragedy and he can get fucked. Um, but I think he still has a has like a cable show or something like that, or maybe he, like, yeah, maybe cool. like I a, mean those things are still those shows are still on. Yeah, like, again, friend friend of the show Bobby Brown from uh, from uh, the Ghostbusters two thing oh, that yes. we love. He, I sent you. He did a um, when I was looking up Bobby Brown as I do once a week on YouTube <laughs> one video that popped up was him um fuck I reckon this is I reckon I've forgotten this there's this kind of can you say camp is that fine yeah is it quite a camp medium is that okay I don't know what the rules are anymore. I don't know maybe you have to say flamboyant <laughs> that sounds worse yeah it does actually there's a flaming <laughs> there's a flaming medium <laughs> There is a a young man mm. and he this was on TV and not that long ago he was claiming to be speaking to Whitney Houston. Oh. He was saying he was saying Whitney's here and she's got a message for you Bobby. Oh, yeah, fuck I saw that. Yeah. And then Bobby Brown is crying. Wow. Yeah, and then the the medium is saying that he's with Whitney Houston mm. and and then Bobby starts crying because the medium is saying, oh, you know, she wants you to know that none of this was your fault or something. It is fucked. And mm. Bobby is all in. And I'm just going, Bobby, what are you doing, man? Yeah. Why do you think this is real? Wow. You're out of your mind. I mean, he's pretty- What has happened? He's like- a pretty troubled character, Bobby Brown, isn't he? He, he was uh, He was a bit- a bit complicit in Whitney's downfall, as I understand it. <laughs> well, I think I think they were both pretty heavy drug users. Yeah, they came. I think they both. That doc, there's a good Whitney Houston documentary. Oh, yeah, where they mention that she came from. I think she grew up in just a sort of a neighborhood and a culture and like friends and family where I think drug use was just fairly normal. Mm, so right. she obviously had the, she needed the squeaky clean image to sell the records. Yeah. But okay. Just, um, I think drug, drug use, I think was, had been known to her since she was quite young. Yeah. There you go. I didn't know like that. I think pre, pre Bobby, I think it was even around her. Pre Bobby. Have you listened to much, have you listened to much Whitney Houston? Uh, I've listened to her. I watched The Bodyguard not that long ago. I think I watched it in lockdown really? for some reason. Um, I must have gotten to the end of a very long list to watch that movie. But uh, I, I realise as well, John, I've got your story off track here. We'll no, get that's back. okay. We'll circle back because we're getting quite good at this. But I'm just going to say, mate, she had one of the greatest voices yeah. in the history of this entire planet. If you want to hear somebody sing, my favourite Whitney Houston song at the moment is... Didn't we almost have it all? Which is also touchingly tragic because right. she died, mm. and she's got this song called "Didn't We Almost Have It All" yeah. about a relationship that ended. And so that's my track of the week. Is Whitney? I think it's called "Didn't We, Didn't we Almost Have It All." Whitney Houston. Didn't, didn't we almost, almost have, it have it all? Didn't we? Uh, yeah. Didn't one? we almost have it all? Mm. Then I can't even get that. The night. No, nah, I can't. She should have started lower. Fucked up. She was the master of like the. <laughs> The kind of vocal gymnastics where yeah. you're like going down. The, the real side. word for that, John, is melisma, in case you melisma. want to uh, ever bust that. Melisma is changing notes on the same vowel. So if I say, if I'm saying the word house mm. and on the owl of house, I'm going, wow. so vocal gymnastics, the vocal runs, mm. the real the real term is melisma. So melisma. track of the week. Whitney Houston, didn't we almost have it all? John, sorry, I've interrupted your story. You were talking about quite all right. the sweetest of mediums. So, long story short, I'm going to subject myself to conversion <laughs> by a spiritual church for the sake of the show, and I can't wait to get started. But the reason I bring it up is because, as I said, it made me... It, as I said, it made me um, remember conversations that we'd had because you started sending me, this was probably pre-podcast, you know, people from YouTube who were into very specific forms of like very implausible to my mind, forms of spirituality. And there was one guy in particular whose name is, 
whose name I'm sorry I've forgotten. He's got very curly hair. He used to be an engineer. Yeah. And yeah, that's Jeffrey Allen. Jeffrey Allen, thanks. <laughs> and his his videos are almost worth putting in the show notes because they're very. He does. He speaks in this very kind of gentle and matter of fact way again, but he uses these kind of absurd little hand gestures. And uh, well, he and he he identifies himself as an energy worker, mm. so that's his profession. So if you met him at a dinner party, yeah, if you said that you worked as a social worker, yeah. he would say he, he's an, he works with energy. I work with energy. energy. And not to be confused with like an electricity company or anything. No, exactly. Like that. If you said to him, oh, it's a fucking boon I've sat next to you because um, <laughs> we've... <laughs> I'm trying to get a good deal on solar panels right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, what's what's his thing, John? When you see him, how would you explain? And it, from from your limited experience, yeah. what does an energy worker look like they do? Well, it looks as though he communicates, again, in this very matter-of-fact way, what seems to me a very controversial, to put it politely, <laughs> series of propositions. Like I remember him saying, a lot of people think that your your spirit is inside your body. But that's not correct. Your body is actually inside your spirit. And I'm like, <laughs> what? Sorry, what are the truth conditions for that s- s- proposition? Like, where where have you gotten that information? Where is there any evidence for it? What does it even mean? But he, and then he kind of, he has this very kind of Zen, uh, sort of wide eyed way of, of presenting. And uh, he seems to, energy work seems to be about, almost touching it's basically the art of almost touching where you uh <laughs> where you where you put your hands i mean if you you know when you're dealing with a primary care worker because they're actually touching you but once they go what i'm going to do is similar movements but about to an inch or less away from your skin then you're in the realm of the energy worker <laughs> And he uses these quite quite subtle sort of expressive gestures as though he's like, as though he's kind of pushing some unseen force around you or onto yeah. you. Or like you might say, oh, I've got a bit of pain in my neck. And mm. he's like, I don't worry about that. I'm just, I'll just rub a bit of energy into it and then he'll <laughs> hover his hand over your neck and just kind of move motion back and forth. Yeah. Just going, oh, yeah, it's going in now. There it goes. <laughs> And then he also, yeah, he sort of does little swishy motions with his hands. Yeah. He says that he's like pushing energy around and he's pushing it into the right areas. Yeah. We're going to get a lot of hate mail out of this schlag and I'm sorry <laughs> about that. I I don't know. Again, this doesn't sound that controversial to say mm. that's not, he's not happening. He's not doing anything. Unless you believe in a variety of bullshit that's 100 years plus old. Then you get all kinds of tax exemptions, which is amazing. But, <laughs> That's true. But if it's something you've just made up, you're fucked. I mean, look, I would be, I'd be way, I'd be much happier for energy workers to get a tax exemption than churches because mm. I would enjoy the personal attention mm. of Jeffrey Allen just running his hands a couple of inches above my skin. Yeah, and I, I I'd be right, I'd be right into that. I would enjoy the feeling. Yeah. of that fantasy of engaging in the fantasy yeah. that is pushing See, that's what healing I'm, energy into me. That's what I'm driving at. I have them all. I have like my entire YouTube subscription hmm. is spirit people who who's whatever they say, I don't on any logical level believe that anything is happening. Yeah. But I'm able to like engage they, they speak very softly. Yeah. They of course only say positive things. Yeah. They never say anything like, oh, you've got some real terrible shit coming up in your life. You've got to be prepared <laughs> for everything to go really, really wrong. Yeah. They only tell you that you're, it's like a horoscope. It only ever says that good things are happening. So you go, yes, good, only good things are going to happen to me. Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. You know, and I always enjoy, if anybody does any of that, st- like I, I had a housemate a few years ago who 
who was into like more spiritual stuff mm-hmm. and I would just go with it. Like mm. if she said, we're going to do this ceremony or whatever, mm. it, it was almost like a little bit of that, you know, that spirituality that I don't get because I live a very secular life mm. and I miss ceremony yeah, and sure. this kind of thing. Spe- so, it speaks to human beings very deeply. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, but I don't. My rule is I don't pay for it. That's my yeah. Okay, that's my line. But you did. You should. I, I don't know if we've mentioned this. You paid some. You paid a tarot reader in New York. I did. Yes, I did. I paid a tarot reader in New York because I was visiting my brother. He he'd had a couple of days off to hang out with me, I think, and then was back at work. And so I was just kind of wandering around Brooklyn, and there were heaps of these signs out the front of some of the old brownstones saying, you know come in and have your fortune told. And so eventually I was like, oh, well, I'm just wandering around by myself, so I'm going to do this. And, yeah, it was kind of – it was a fascinating experience because you're in, you're just in some person's, like, front room, sitting room sort of thing. And she sort of – she gets she gets you a cup of tea, she sits down, and then she starts telling me, um, I can see that you're – like I think she turned over a few cards and things and then read my palm and it was a bit of a melange of various different types of pseudoscience. And then she gave me this spiel, which would have been, I think it was, it was just the right, it was just at the right level that those things are where it was like, clearly you could say most of it about everyone. And then there was a couple of things which maybe some people they would unequivocally say, mm, don't think so. But then most people would say, I can probably shoehorn in some experience I've had that that speaks to. So she would say, you know, and 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 she threw in things which I found affirming, which is a very good strategy if you want people to believe what you're saying. So she's saying, she said, women find you attractive, and I said, wow, that's uncanny. Oh. And. Um, and then she said, but you've um, had a bad experience in, in love and it's created this kind of blockage where you find it difficult to connect with people again. And you, Yeah, you, blockage is a big one. You've had the word blockage. Yeah. You've had a you've had a few short relationships since then, but nothing has lasted, which may have been kind of playing on something that I said. So it was a bit of a punt because I could have been like, this is not true. I've been with one person my whole life and we're still married, but 90% of people, 95% of people who go in there are going to be like, yeah, this is kind of true to true of me that I, something I was in love once and they did hurt me. And then I did have some experiences where I, you know, Blockage. was on the rebound and had a few blockages and, uh, <laughs> and then, yeah. And she might've asked if I was single or something. So that was like a, you know, starting position. Right. But I enjoyed that experience and I also had my palm read in Hong Kong. So, you know, I'm oh, not a I'm not averse you, so this to is like a holiday thing. Yeah, I I think I'm very You wouldn't do it. You wouldn't just do it down the street. You're not just going to pop down to your black, local No, not until the spiritual tarot reader thing. after but you're not finishing work on Friday and you're, everyone's saying, come to the pub for a pint and you're going, I can't, I'm going to my tarot reader. No, I'm definitely not. But there is something about being in a different context that makes me less inhibited in that way and makes me think like, mm. what the hell? And it's also a kind of when in Rome thing because, you you know, I mean, I, I'm not averse to or I'm not immune from the kind of spellbinding power of spiritual spaces like if i go to a temple yeah or sure. something i can be very moved by it i mean i always go to i always go to churches when i'm on holiday yeah uh, churches and temples i'm straight in there i went to mosques yeah in bosnia mm-hmm. i went to churches in venice mm. yeah went to the church of scientology in hollywood it's very moving move got your thetans you just sobbed as you got your thetans checked i got my i got my thetans read <laughs> Uh, yeah, they said, here, will you hold these special rods so Yeah, you can measure your thetans? And I said, actually, all my thetans live down here, mate. You've got to put a little <laughs> strap around it. That's the only way that I can, you can tell what my operating thetan level is. Have you got a little band or something? And he said, yeah, we got a little band. And so they put, a, they put a little band around it. And then I went, meow, 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 meow. And they said, wow, you're... 
You could, your Thetans are off the chart. You could defeat Xenu. <laughs> You're Elrond <Elmer> Hubbard <laughs> in that department. Um, that'll be our first cease and desist letter from just that tiny bit there. Suddenly. Yeah. Without without sort of listenership, we'll just be, what the fuck is this? Why have we got a letter from the lawyer at Prestige <laughs> <laughs> of Scientology? <laughs> the melbourne comedy festival at the moment too do you know you know what i was thinking about was as i was going through the acts australia does this thing in celebrity culture generally and comedy is part of that where it recycles the same people over and over so you get because it's just quite a small pool so you get all these people who you'll know our people like akmal and jim owen yeah who've been around since the 90s and I keep looking out for a puppetry of the penis poster. Right. And I was just reflecting on the 90s and the late 90s in particular in comedy and what an odd phenomenon that was. Like, why Why did that? Because they, they, I think, had a couple of sessions at, seasons at the um, Melbourne International Comedy Festival. I'm sure they would have. And then took the show on the road. And for the sake of our listeners, these are two men who basically contort their penises into different shapes, kind of like balloon animals. And and somehow broke into the mainstream and became this kind of cultural phenomenon and they had a documentary made about them and they were around for years. And I remember my high school girlfriend going with her mum and I just was thinking more recently, like, that is such a bizarre thing to do. Like, let's go and see some penis contortion <laughs> as a family. And, you know, no disrespect to her because that was very much like, like there was like, the, like their, their, de- their demographic was really broad. And I was just thinking like, Man, if you describe this idea to me, I would say your fan base is going to be very small <laughs> and very specific because nobody wants to see that stuff. But I was dead wrong. And they were around for years. I looked on their website just before this and they've got no upcoming gigs, which makes me think that they've huh. finally put their old boys away. Well, <laughs> uh, well my, I, could, I could have this wrong. My understanding was much like... Much like the Blue Man Group, they had essentially sold or franchised the concept. Oh, yeah, that's probably to right. anyone who was well endowed enough yeah. to be able to manipulate their. I think you at least have to be able to do the wristwatch to. Mm. Uh, to, <laughs> to it makes me a bit squeamish. There's a lot of this. <laughs> um, I think that's what happened. I think they would get puppeteers in different in different territories to perform under the puppetry of the penis banner uh under the auspices of puppetry of the penis <laughs> and i think you have to adhere to the franchise rules yeah 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 I, I read an article about somebody injuring one of the performers injuring his testicles which isn't that surprising on stage in new york yeah. and uh oh god and I mean that's what you get. But they started in 1998 because somebody, okay. one of the performers, I think, was making a kind of a vulgar calendar with different, you know, the penis uh-huh. contorted into different shapes. And then they decided, let's try and he consulted this other performer who became his co-performer on the show. Let's try and do this as a live show. And then they went. And did it. And I've never been, but I think it is just like, you know, four to six hours of them, (laughs) of them like doing the wristwatch. I don't know what else you'd do. Like, they just keep, they run run out and just go, we're going to do another 
couple of minutes of wristwatch <laughs> for you. Do the windmill. And then, and if you go to their Wikipedia page, as I like to do, as you know, it's very clear to me that it's written either by a very committed <laughs> fan or much more likely by one of the men who is the co-founders of Puppetry of the Penis. The, the classic the classic giveaway that the Wikipedia page is written by the person that the article is about. Mm. Where they say things like, they say, say things like, they are known for this and it's no, there's no citation yeah. and you're like, well, are they? The, and, where are you getting that? And, and, they, and things like, they are probably yeah. the most famous <laughs> yeah, exactly. act to have ever <laughs> done this. And their best song yeah, is yeah, definitely yeah. this one. They are, very likely their first band to combine this sound and that sound. And you're like, mm, not sure Every, about this. Everybody said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Everyone everyone enjoyed it. No citation. Everyone agrees. <laughs> um, and my favourite section is called reception. Uh, of, of Wikipedia. Yeah, of the, uh, sorry, of the article on puppetry of the penis. Right, but I'll give you. I was going to say, I think our favourite two are always controversies and reception. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Two favourite Wikipedia Wikipedia sections. (laughs) John always goes straight to controversies. (laughs) Mother Teresa controversies. Controversies, please. It's a comedic live performance art show. Puppetry of the Penis is a comedic live performance art show featuring a series of genital contortions. It was initially conceived as the title of a highbrow art calendar released by Australian Simon Morley in 1996. I don't know why I used the word highbrow there, whether that's meant to be ironic. Uh, In response to increasing requests for live demonstrations, so it's like, well, yeah. Uh, Morley in 1997 enlisted fellow Australian David Friend to devise a performance show consisting of body-based genital comedy. The show in involves two nude men who bend, twist, and fold their penises and scrotums into various shapes. And then it says, the theatrical contortion of the male genitalia, brackets, penis, scrotum, and testicles. Like, yeah, we, I think we're across that. <laughs> Accompanied by comedic narration, has since spread internationally. Uh, and then go. It, it sort of goes on in this slightly kind of as I say, register that suggests to me that one of them is writing it. Then you get to the reception. (laughs) Puppetry of the Penis has been noted for its controversial material amongst theatre critics and journalists. In a review of the production at the Whitehall Theatre in London, published in The Independent, Sarah Barrell said the show is certainly one of the more playfully subversive pieces of theatre to come within reach of the capital's centres of power. The show has received positive reviews from major international news outlets, Lynn Gardner of The Guardian called it a gently witty, surprisingly charming little show and remarked that the material was handled with a high degree of decorum. British critic Jill Sharp called the show a theatrical extravaganza and so on and so forth. Then you go to analysis, right? Further further four paragraphs here. I mean, the article's enormous. The use of comedy as a method of... (laughs) subverting or critiquing traditional assumptions and social dynamics has been commented on by several theorists. Puppetry of the Penis uses theatrical and absurdist humour to deconstruct conventional representations of male genitalia. The show reduces the penis to a malleable object for the purposes of comedy, disassociating it from the taboo of sex and masculinity. I mean, that it's, is like, it's like... Definitely a, written by them. It's like a PhD thesis. <laughs> And then, is there any dissenting voice in the article? Not, not there. Oh, there is. I mean, there's a there's a section on controversies, but then, and then it's, but then just to continue with this little section, quotes a theatre critic who says that uh, the strictures of de- genteel decorum are violated. Then it says, critics and academics oh. note that the puppetry of the penis possesses a cultural value beyond its outwardly superficial subject matter. It, the show demystifies and demythologizes the male sexual organ by displaying it with hypervisibility and boldness. And then it goes on to all of these academic analyses and theatre critics who've... You need to do one of your classic Wikipedia edits right now, John. I just delete everything <laughs> and just put, it's two guys playing with their dicks. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is kind of... 
What I love about that is two things. I love that puppetry of the penis became as mainstream as it did because it is very confusing to me. But secondly, I love that whoever's written that article, which must be one of those two men I mentioned, is kind of trying to persuade themselves and others that uh, a show which is not just based on but is entirely, as I understand it, (laughs) two men contorting their genitalia, brackets, penis, testicles, and scrotum, into different (laughs) shapes is somehow like pushing new cultural boundaries. So I encourage everyone to uh, look at the website, look at the Wikipedia article. I think there's an option to book them uh, for your next event. Yeah, of course. Which I'd encourage you to do. I'm thinking about it for my 40th. Um, I think we should get that would be part of the Don't Praise the Machine Spectacular <laughs> featuring Puppetry the Penis, Tom Art, Tom Arnold, <laughs> Jaden Smith, and the Smiths, and the entire Smith family. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us this week, everybody. That's been episode number 54. Stay alive and we'll see you at 55. I've been John Maloney and I've appeared, as always, with my friend and pod brother, Alexander Holland. Thanks, everybody. We can't wait to see you next week. That's been episode number 54 and we can't wait to bring you more. Episode number 55 coming straight to you and making you jump and jive. This has been Don't Praise the Machine and we'll catch you next week at the podcast.